Hello and welcome to Research Radio, a podcast of the Economic and Political Weekly. I am Johan and today we have with us Professor Sunil Mani for a two-part episode on COVID-19 vaccine R&D and manufacturing in the US and in India. Professor Mani is Director and Professor, RBI Chair at the Center for Development Studies, Thiruvananthapuram. In part one of this episode, we will look at the differences in the approach adopted by the US and by India and the role of each respective government in promoting R&D and manufacturing. Welcome, Professor Mani, and thank you for agreeing to share your thoughts with us today. Okay. Thank you very much, Johan, uh, for having me on your uh, show. Uh, I think you have selected a very important topic, which is uh, current and continuing in nature, because as we all know that uh, uh, we have all managed to return to uh, some semblance of normalcy only because all of us are vaccinated. And, uh, and uh, also, India is a country with tremendous vaccine manufacturing and R&D capability. So I think this uh, issue needs to be discussed at length. Professor Mani, in your paper in the EPW, you compare in great detail the differences in the approach between the US and India. Could you summarize the main differences in these approaches? Yeah, uh, I, I think, uh, the, first of all, I, I have to give some little explanation as to why I'm comparing US with India, because, you know, they are uh, like strange uh, bedfellows from that point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, US is a much richer country and uh, has a long history of uh, health research, etc. We don't have the similar kind of thing. But the most important thing is that uh, in terms of uh, pharmaceutical research, it is quite well known that India has a fair amount of capability. Okay, and in the specifically in the case of vaccine, we have uh, uh, been making vaccines in our country even before in the country became independent. So we had a number of public laboratories which have been spread throughout the country, which have been engaged in vaccine research and manufacturing. And we also have our uh, private sector companies, uh, which came up in the 50s and late 60s. You know, So they are not uh, firms which have come up quite recently. Although one of the companies which have been successful was a recent company, but most of the companies have been very old. Okay, And we have a, uh, you know, uh, capability to manufacture 29 different types of vaccines. And we have a total installed capacity uh, to make these 29 different types of vaccine. The total installed capacity in the country is about 8.3 billion doses. Okay. And uh, uh, so uh, uh, given this kind of long, and also unlike in the United States, we also have a long history of uh, uh, immunizing, uh, you know, uh, immunization in our country. You know, it is the Universal Immunization Program, the UIP, okay, whereby about approximately 50 million children are vaccinated every year. Okay. Mm -hmm. So not only we have capability to design and manufacture vaccines, but also diffuse them, uh, you know, uh, in large numbers. So given that kind of a capability, India ought to have been developing vaccines of its on her own. And uh, because when India does it, it will be much cheaper okay, uh, compared to the United States. Although US has made all these vaccines, they're still much costlier than uh, the kind of vaccines that we could make. And one of the cheapest, largest and cheapest uh, 
vaccine manufacturer in the world is in India, the Serum Institute of India. Okay. So here is a country which has got a tremendous capability and long history of vaccine research and manufacturing, but has not, relatively speaking, been able to develop any vaccines on its own. You know, uh, and, and I would argue that it is essentially because India has hesitated to use uh, uh, industrial policy instruments. Because in our country, mm. since 1991, we have been following this policy of economic liberalization, to which I referred to earlier as well, and which meant that uh, the discretionary role of government with respect to economic matters was reduced as much as possible. Okay, mm -hmm. And increasingly, we have been you know, sort of uh, opening up everything to the private sector Okay, without uh, sometimes meaningful instruments of support to the private sector. Okay. And, and uh, so that, I think, is the overall reason as to why we have not done relatively well. Now, if you break that uh, uh, instruments of support into different components, I start with the support for basic R&D on vaccine for coronaviruses. In the US, you have a solid and long history, which I explained to you before, and it's a, a federally funded, uh, you know, Whereas in India, it is weak and almost non-existent. I'm not aware of any basic research on vaccines any going anywhere in India. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that is, uh, that's the first point. The second one is, uh, you know, various kinds of legislative changes because you have to do this very quickly in terms of providing money available for uh, research and so uh, in, in vaccine development. The US, they first had an emergency support for vaccine uh, R&D. And they committed something like $2.3 billion. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whereas in India, there was no strategy for vaccine development uh, for COVID-19. You know, there's no strategy, but a, a, a strategy only for vaccinations. I refer to the successful universal immunization program that we have. Um, and so, for instance, this COVID platform, etc., was de developed essentially for vaccinations, not for vaccine development, you know. So it made the assumption that the vaccines are available and all we have to do is to diffuse it. Okay. So on the diffusion, we spent a lot of importance, uh, gave a lot of importance, which is important, of course, and uh, but on, not on the manufacturing part of it. So the union budget for 2021-22 apparently has provided something like 472 million US dollar equivalent. Uh, but the details of this, how much of this money has been actually spent is not spelt out. So if you look at the action taken on the budget, uh, uh, there, there are government, uh, as part of the budget, you know, you have uh, uh, in the following year, there will be another document which says, uh, you, you know, the action taken on each of those proposals. Uh, and uh, they are not talking, they are not giving any information about how this 472 million US dollar equivalent uh, was actually spent. Okay, so uh, money was provided in the budget, but we don't know where ex where exactly it has gone. Okay, and uh, uh, and in fact, even the two affidavits provided by Union of India to the Supreme Court, uh, which is also now available public in, in public domain, uh, doesn't give you uh, uh, much information on how this money was actually spent. Okay, so that's uh, so the legislative changes. If you take uh, the U.S. was quick and they have those emergency support. They gave 2.3 billion. We said we are giving 472 million, but there's no idea about where this money had gone. 
okay uh, uh, whether it was really spent or not we have no idea okay the second is the institutional support in the case of uh, us there were basically two institutional mechanism that they put in place the first one is called the operation warp speed okay mm-hmm. uh, the operation warp because they declared the uh, declared that this sars cov 2 which is the virus causing covid 19 is a enemy and they should defeat the enemy okay so they almost like uh, uh, designed a kind of a war strategy so that's why it's called operation warp speed you know mm-hmm. and uh, and even a, a military personnel person was actually put in charge of operating that one so under that basically what was happening was providing various kinds of fiscal support to private sector companies okay mm-hmm. so large amounts of money was made available through the operation warp speed and uh, there were two uh, uh, and also they, what they did was they identified six different vaccine in three different platforms one platform of course was the mrna uh, platform where you had uh, moderna and pfizer biotech like that you had other platforms where the idea was that at least if you spread your uh, instead of putting all your eggs into one basket they put it that into three baskets you know and in this three basket there were six companies you know two companies each in each of the baskets and the idea was that at least one of them or two of them will be successful in terms of developing they also had a very objective criteria for identifying who should be put in that basket okay and uh, so any kind of a uh, uh, fly by night operators now i use the term fly by night operation because there were uh, according to the who vaccine tracker there were about 323 r&d projects going on in the world trying to develop uh, uh, covid-19 vaccines because people thought that if they are able to come out with a vaccine the whole world is their market and they could make mm-hmm. your, and even if it's a small amount of money which they will charge per dose but you are talking about billions of doses so you can mm-hmm. you can be a a very rich person in such a short period of time and you know and uh, so uh, there are all kinds of companies that they are working on uh, covid-19 vaccine but the us you know they had uh, uh, developed a mechanism of finding out who is credible rnt who have credible rnt projects okay so operation warp speed is one uh, institutional mechanism which they have used and another institutional mechanism which they have used is what is called the defense production act now this act is a 1950 vintage okay it was used during the war times during that during the korean vietnam war and so on basically according to this act if there is a us manufacturer making any item which is required for the war okay then that item cannot be exported okay mm-hmm. so there is no there is no technically there is no export ban uh, uh, but uh, the requirement is that they must first satisfy the american manufacturers and only if they have a surplus they can export i see okay so this defense production act was also invoked even mr trump you know with all his uh, great fascination for the private sector and all the antics that he was showing during that time you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, he even he also invoked this defense production act several times 
you know, to uh, make sure that uh, all the raw materials and components which are required for making vaccines are first given to the American manufacturers and then only it should be exported because there is demand for this from various other countries also, mm-hmm. you know, for uh, uh, making these. And, uh, and, uh, and also I must say that vaccine has a global value chain that, you know, it requires something like 300, 300 or four, almost close to 400 different items. Mm-hmm. Apart from the chemicals, you know, the vial, the stopper, the syringe, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, and all kinds of things uh, are required, you know, and all these are required in very large quantities, you know, and, and uh, so, uh, you know, if these are going to be exported and US and China are the two major manufacturers, India is in the global value chain, but only for a few items. My paper has the details of those items, which are uh, where India is actually a major manufacturer, but it's only a few items. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this uh, Operation Warp Speed, along with the uh, use of the Defense Production Act, uh, was a solid institutional uh, you know, support for uh, mm-hmm. vaccine R&D and manufacturing. Now compare that with India. We, first of all, we, there's no Operation Warp Speed equivalent here. Instead, what we had was a NEGVAC, N-E-G-V-S-C, which is the National Expert Group on Vaccine uh, Development for COVID-19. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we look through the minutes of the meetings of this NEGVAC, which is available in public, okay, mm-hmm. what you find is that they are much more concerned with the distribution of vaccines rather than manufacturing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're not so much into uh, uh, vaccine manufacturing as such. They were uh, more into this developing this COVID platform, etc. And so on. they're very good in that area, but uh, not into vaccine manufacturing. As against uh, the Americans who focused more on the, uh, uh, the design and manufacturing of vaccines. Then second to be also had a vaccine suraksha mission, which is focusing more on R&D and which was uh, uh, administered by the Department of Biotechnology. Okay, But the amount of money that was made available and so on were very, very limited. Okay, And uh, so compared to the uh, US, the institutional support was also not very strong as far as India is concerned. Although we could have been strong because we have uh, uh, you know, strong institutions which could have been activated and, uh, and uh, used for this purpose. Okay. Next is uh, financial support. Now, in the US, they had used two financial support. One was, you know, funding of R&D, direct funding of R&D. So you you are given some grant to do R&D in this area. Uh, And so uh, according to my calculation, it is about 2.32 billion. Now, these figures are also, there there is a a commission called the Global Commission for Post-Pandemic Policy. So they have also been, uh, you know, sort of, they have details about every single R&D project and how much of money has been given for those R&D projects uh, by various governments. Okay. So from that database, I managed to put together this 2.32 billion. Uh, Okay. But the main financial support which Americans have given is Advanced Marketing Commitments. Now, this is a WHO-compliant instrument of support, which is specifically required for vaccines because vaccines are extremely risky. Many vaccines don't see the light of the day. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wants to, some company wants to do an R&D, you have to give an assurance to them that when they come out with the uh, vaccine, you know, the government will buy a certain mm-hmm. quantity and the price of that uh, uh, purchase the, 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 is given to the company right up front, even before the vaccine is developed. So that's why it's called advanced marketing commitment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the only way in which you can, because many of these vaccine projects fail, and if they are going to do a lot of R&D and then uh, they are not going to make any money out of it, uh, and you know it will be a big loss for the company. Okay, mm-hmm. and maybe the company will be decimated after the vaccine development. Okay, so you know, in order to prevent that from happening, uh, you know this advanced marketing commitment as an instrument was designed by the WHO, and uh, so despite all subsidies etc. Uh, you know, which are frowned upon after the, you know, the existence of WTO, etc. and so on. This is something which is allowed legally. Okay. okay. So the US under that gave $24 billion. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you have the earlier uh, $2.3 billion for R&D. Now you have another $24 billion for advanced marketing government. So totally $26 billion. Okay. As against that, uh, in India, of course, we can't, we cannot give that kind of uh, 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 money, but uh, the funding for r and in India was just a small paltry sum of about 127 uh, million, okay, 127 million. So it's uh, it's something closer to about 100 million dollars were given. AMC was given, not given for any of the recent vaccines, but uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the vaccine which has been very recently developed. Uh, I think that is the only vaccine for which, uh, which is the Corby Vax, which bio, a company called Biological E in the in Hyderabad. This is not Bharat Biotech. Okay, okay. this is a different one called Corby Vax uh, by Biological E. Biological E is an older company uh, in in vaccine research based in Hyderabad, and they had teamed up with some American com- uh, organizations, you know, uh, and developed a a new vaccine which has been used for vaccinating children now okay it's called mm-hmm. corbivax and that vaccine the government of india gave a, a, a you know a advanced marketing commitment about 542 million equivalent okay for that vaccine but that was much later okay and this is also after the intervention of the supreme court that uh, uh, because uh, there was a kind of a feeling both in the government as well as in the uh, in the opposition and also among many academic researchers who were writing about vaccine that giving money to private sector to do res- research and so on is not on okay because we are operating in a regime of uh, uh, economic liberalization and privatization etc so why give money directly to the these companies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because if they take this money they are just going to profit from it okay mm-hmm. but in uh, in vaccine research, I think you cannot uh, leave that to be done by the private sector alone. Okay, mm-hmm. in order to encourage them to commit more resources to this risky business, governments will have to put money. Okay, give various kinds of, and that's what the Americans have done. Now the Americans also could have just said, to you, I mean, because it's a market-oriented economy, uh, why don't you do the vaccine development yourself? They didn't say that. 
Okay, they give the money to those uh, uh, companies without thinking about anything else because they know that if they don't do, nothing will be developed. Okay, and uh, whereas in India we give some loan guarantees, but loan guarantee is not for instance for Serum Institute and for uh, Bharat Biotech. Some loan guarantees were given by government of India. But loan guarantee that means that means if you take some loan from somewhere, that's guaranteed by the government of India. But then loan guarantee is not a good instrument of risk sharing. Okay, risk sharing is can only be done through research grants, because you know you you provide that money upfront so that uh, the companies have money in their pockets and then they go go about doing the serious business of doing R and T etc. and so on. Okay, so financial support. Again, you see that the Americans had solid financial support, you know, direct grants as well as advanced marketing commitments. India, it was very, very limited. And even whatever was given was given after the intervention of the Supreme Court. So you are talking about post-May 2021, you know. So only after that, uh, uh, the, the government started intervening. And once they've started intervening, in India also we can see some good results, okay. Now more vaccines have come. I'll talk about that a uh, little later. More uh, vaccines have. For instance, I must make a special mention of uh, one vaccine in India. Also, we have a now a mRNA vaccine which has been developed. is undergoing tests. I don't know whether any user authorization has been given. Uh, I still I don't have that information. Uh, but the uh, the problem with mRNA vaccine is that uh, when you when you want to distribute these vaccines, they require a elaborate cold chain. Mm. Okay, and in a country like India, we don't have a, a cold chain, so uh, we can't have a mRNA vaccine if we don't have a cold chain. Okay, mm-hmm. but why not develop an mRNA vaccine which does not require a cold chain? Okay, and this is this is what a small biotech company in Pune has done it. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they have developed this, and uh, the uh, and this is now undergoing the various uh, uh, this phase one, phase two, phase three trials. The last time that I saw, they had graduated themselves to phase two. Now, now that is a very small, unknown company, you know, uh, and, and you know we have never known about that company before. Okay, but what I am trying to say, I am sure there are several companies like that. There are several groups like that in India, which if they had been given like if you had a some competition kind of thing where you identify them and give them support, they would have come. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is that uh, this pandemic has now hopefully gone. But uh, WHO, of course, still has not declared that the pandemic is over. You know, we, we still have. But uh, hopefully it will be it will all be over in, in, a, in a few months time and uh, maybe the uh, WHO will declare that we are now pandemic free. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but the scientists have been warning that such things are going to come up in the future as well. So we have to be always on our guard. So I think mm-hmm. vaccine R and D capability is very important for any country uh, in the future. Okay, being able to develop vaccines for all kinds of uh, strange diseases that may come, uh, and in a so you, you need to have continuous funding and support for this. So I think uh, uh, some thinking towards this should be there, you know, and uh, uh, something of the nature of what the Americans have been doing. Because they, they have a, 
a, a institutionalized system so they can when something new comes they can quickly tweak that to the new new situation okay the next thing is about iprs so iprs is also an important thing because uh, you know especially for a knowledge based item like this you know uh, you know the intellectual property right for this especially patents is a very important issue so we will discuss that separately next thing is indemnity clauses now you take this vaccine and let's say you have some severe adverse health issue okay i refer to those pericarditis and myocarditis and so on you know who will compensate you well, you know will you get this compensation from the government or will you get the compensation from the private sector company which has developed this vaccines mm-hmm. so for encouraging uh, uh, vaccination because you see even though you do those phase 1 phase 2 phase 3 trials you really do not know the long term consequence of some of these you know because now we are talking about long term consequence of some other uh, like the opioid uh, crisis etc like the us etc and so on, you know and uh, uh, so then you know there can be a kind of a litigation which can take place in the future okay so companies are hesitant also because of that so so indemnity clauses will have to be provided okay mm-hmm. so the us they have various other indemnity clauses which are already available and so that so the companies are very well protected okay mm-hmm. in india we don't seem to be having any indemnity clause so if the uh, if there is an adverse uh, severe adverse event uh, as a result of the vaccine the vaccine manufacturer will have to compensate it mm-hmm. okay so that will also hesitate people to enter the vaccine manufacturing and aunty because uh, you are talking about compensations of a, a, a because you can have class action you can have large number of people getting together and mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know asking for a, it's not one or two individuals it's a large number of individuals so uh, that is also another issue which uh, needs to be done whereas mm-hmm. in the us has got a very clear in fact they have a, they have something called the prep covid prep act covid 19 prep declaration so mm-hmm. under under that covid 19 prep declaration all kinds of compensations were given so they also have something called a countermeasures injury compensation program cicp you know so uh, it may be available for all individuals who suffer serious adverse events you know resulting from uh, covid 19 vaccines so if you have an adverse event under this uh, under the cicp you can get a compensation companies don't have to worry okay mm-hmm. but we don't have anything equivalent to that you know so that also can be in fact uh, if you remember the uh, at one point when we had a shortage of vaccines in the country where vaccinations were uh, you know it was very difficult to get a, a appointment on the covid 19 uh, covid platform mm-hmm. uh, you know government of india even tried to import to see whether we can get some pfizer biontech vaccines here mm-hmm. okay so we started negotiating with pfizer and uh, uh, moderna for instance getting the vaccines here but pfizer immediately said that our prime uh, requirement or condition is that you government of india should give us an indemnity clause mm-hmm. okay if there is any any adverse event takes place because this vaccine has been administered and uh, that should be compensated by government of india and not by us mm-hmm. okay 
and, and uh, but government of india was not willing to do that they said they you should do this and not us okay mm-hmm. so this uh, went on for some time and uh, newspapers were reporting at since we were desperately wanting to have this vaccine at some point we were saying that we may compensate but i think ultimately we didn't do that and the, this pfizer biontech vaccine never came to india mm-hmm. okay it's not it's not available at all in india so i think intermediate loss is also one uh, which is where, and also if you look at questions which are asked in the uh, in the parliament in the lok sabha specifically mm-hmm. you have seen that we have had clinical trials for pharmaceutical drugs here for a long time mm-hmm. you know clinical trials and severe adverse events due to clinical trials have been quite high you know uh, you know no i would not say quite high but rather it it it, it is there okay Mm-hmm. and the kind of compensation that we pay is very small amounts of money okay mm-hmm. and uh, uh, in fact this severe adverse events have if i am not mistaken has been slightly increasing over time this is based on questions which are asked in the answered in the parliament mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and uh, the details of that you you know it is there in my paper as well and mm-hmm. and uh, so being there i think indemnity clause is also a very important issue which uh, we need to have some clarity okay mm-hmm. who will pay the compensation etc and 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 so on. and and then the next is the the central government's or federal government's support for improving the ease of doing business ease of manufacturing especially okay. now in the us they have a very interesting case where they use the cag equivalent reports that you know like like we have the controller and auditor general reports which goes into you know a detailed evaluation of all uh, what shall we say detailed evaluation of all public support you know you have given some public money to someone so there will be a detailed evaluation of how that money was utilized etc and so on. Mm-hmm. okay so uh, so the i i showed you that uh, i you know the us government has given something like 26 billion so they would like to know how this money was utilized by the companies so the general uh, accountants office which is equivalent to our cag here okay so they would they they have done some very good rep- uh, auditing of those uh, money and the auditing was done not with a view of uh, finding fault saying that you have done imported that thing which was not required and, uh, you know or you have uh, uh, exaggerated something and so on okay but done with a view to see what are the problems which us manufacturers are facing to quickly mm-hmm. manufacture covid-19 vaccines which for which this technology was already developed okay mm-hmm. and uh, they made a systematic documentation of all the problems and then they they provided some solution uh, on the basis of which the federal government could then provide some solution to improve the ease of doing business mm-hmm. okay for instance one uh, one instance i found that they found that some key uh, uh, research personnel for doing some aspect of vaccine research was not available in the us mm-hmm. but they could spot someone in turkey okay mm-hmm. so the idea was get that person to the us immediately okay mm-hmm. so the the immigration and naturalization service the was asked to give a visa immediately to that person and that person was put on the next plane and brought to the us okay so that kind of proactive thing now compare that with uh, the uh, uh, in india 
where Serum Institute, for instance, if you look look at the tweets by Mr. Punawala, mm -hmm. he was, uh, you know, uh, saying that, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, he required a lot of these uh, components and they are not available at all. Okay. And he was sending, sending these tweets to the president of the U.S., and, uh, you know, who was using this Defense Protection Act to uh, prevent those things from coming here. Why don't you give some of those components to me so that I can make these vaccines and then, you know, uh, not only for India, but also for that COVAX, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, facility which, uh, through which India was supplying cheap vaccines to other developing countries. Mm -hmm. Okay, But I'm not aware of whether the government of India had actually lobbied uh, with the with the uh, with, with the other government, you know, uh, for uh, easing those, uh, you know, to the ease of doing business. Because again, it was perhaps the government might have thought that this is a responsibility of the private sector to, uh, you know, to get mm -hmm. get their act or clear on this one. So uh, that nothing was done. Okay, so it was basically they were left to fend for themselves. Whereas in the case of the even a general accountant office report was basically done in such a way to identify the constraints and how that can be eased. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so that is another one. Then, of course, uh, you know, so if you look at the overall, uh, uh, you know, policy instruments from whatever I have just said, you can see in the case of the U.S. substantial, you know, mm -hmm. whereas in, the, in India it's limited and it has also proceeded in two phases. One is before the intervention of the Supreme Court, and after the intervention of the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Okay. So after the post-intervention of the Supreme Court, you see that uh, the, the government of India is, like for instance, they gave that advanced marketing commitment for copy backs, et cetera, mm -hmm. and so on. So, okay. so there is a little bit more use of industrial policy instruments after that. And, and, uh, and as a result, we are getting some new, now a number of new vaccines also, which is, I think, is a good thing. So that is, in essence, a long answer to your question about the, uh, the difference between the U.S. and the in India in terms of vaccine development. As a follow-up question, Professor Mani, you say that there is this potential in India, and this potential has been lauded by everyone, including the Indian government. Why then do you think that they have not made use of uh, policy measures to encourage or to bolster this manufacturing potential? Yeah, I can only make an enlightened guess here, if I may use the term enlightened at all. Uh, and uh, uh, is because, you see, in India, as I've said before, we have been subscribing to this policy of economic liberalization since 1991. So the idea is that government should not intervene too much in the affairs of the private sector. They should fend for themselves. Uh, because some fiscal incentives are given by government. They, you know, some tax concessions, etc., are given by the government. Uh, they should take advantage of those and uh, uh, do the do their act. Okay, mm -hmm. but this in this case, uh, so I think it is basically and also the opposition also the moment you give some money to the, any private sector firms, it's immediately frowned upon. Okay, so you are helping X and Y. You know it should not be done. But uh, uh, the thing is that you see in case of knowledge production, if I may compare that with the you know, uh, a general problem. See, knowledge production, you cannot leave things to the market completely because there will be substantial market failures. Okay. Market failures are defined as a suboptimal allocation of resources by the market. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so I think it is this economic revitalization thinking which has actually prevented the government from supporting uh, or using industrial policy instruments because uh, with the de-licensing and uh, you know, dismantling of various industrial controls in 1991, we thought that you know the private sector should be doing things on its own, you know, mm-hmm. and so it may be that thinking which is actually uh, you know. Uh, which led to this kind of state of affair. Okay, but my argument is that in the case of uh, knowledge production in general, and in the case of especially knowledge production for health-related issues in particular, there has to be a strong role for the government. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Professor Mani, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. This concludes part one of this two-part episode. Do join us for part two, where we discuss how intellectual property laws can facilitate or hinder the development and production of vaccines and the delicate balance of public-private partnership needed especially in the field of knowledge production and healthcare. You can find the papers mentioned in today's episode in the show notes. And for more episodes of Research Radio, head to epw.in slash podcasts. To experience all that EPW has to offer, Head over to epw.in and subscribe today. This is Johan saying bye-bye and see you again in part two.